What is faith? Today, we're going to continue on our journey and answering this question and answering it from a a biblical perspective. Last week, we learned that faith has a cumulative quality to it. As we depend more on God, our faith grows and we can store it up for the future. We learned that the Lord loves to respond to faith. And we also learned that faith is making reasonable assumptions. Biblical faith is making reasonable assumptions about God's care and control over our very lives. And these assumptions are based not just on experience, but also the promises of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on specifically this morning. Today's sermon is entitled, What is Faith? Standing on the Promises. Have you ever found yourself praying some of those prayers that you find in the Bible? Prayers like, Lord, increase my faith. Prayers like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know that I have found myself on numerous occasions praying those prayers. I find myself praying these things even though I know that faith isn't something that I can just simply muster up from within me. Faith is given by God. And it's developed according to the processes that he has ordained. God is, after all, someone who grows things. Physically speaking, each one of us began as nothing more than a tiny speck. A tiny speck. A teeny single cell. But that one cell grows, and it multiplies at a rapid pace. All of our human characteristics, whether it's gender, eye color, shoe size, intelligence, and so on, they are determined at fertilization by the baby's genetic code. And this genetic code resides in the 46 human chromosomes that are in that one teeny, tiny cell. We begin at a microscopic level, but then we grow. We grow into the beings that we are today, the beings of stature. And faith is like that. Faith is also a growing entity. God desires to grow us spiritually. But how does he aim to do that? How does he go about helping us grow our faith? Like any good teacher, he bestows truth, then devises tests to review and reinforce that truth. 
to transfer and translate into lasting, life-changing experiences. And if I may give another sports analogy, like any good coach, he sits down with his players using his playbook of scripture. He gives us information, explains the rules, reviews the plays, then comes practices, and then a scrimmage. And after that, the videotapes are reviewed. Maybe there's one or two uh, instances of being chewed out (laughs) for not carrying the task that you know you should do. More data is given, then another scrimmage. And it's almost an endless cycle, but it's all in preparation for game day. Game day. And so through this process, good players become skilled professionals. Good people become growing disciples. Little measures of faith grow into the type of faith that can move mountains. And it's how God dealt with the children of Israel. It's how Jesus worked with the disciples, with the newly freed Israelites, God gave instructions through Moses. And then he brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And then later into the desert with no water or food. It was almost as if God was saying, now here's a test. Let's see if you can apply my promises to your problems. And when the Egyptian army was coming, they had the promise that God would never forsake them. When there was no food or water in the wilderness, they had the promise that God would provide for their needs. And when it came to Jesus and his disciples, he taught them on a mountainside. And then he loaded them into a small boat and sent them into the midst of of a terrific and terrifying storm. And this was designed to help them apply truth to their lives. You see, often when the Bible describes truth, it isn't just some head knowledge filled with facts and figures. Truth is actively lived. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Actions speak louder than words. Talk, if it's just talk, is cheap. Anyone can have knowledge, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that even the demons know that Jesus is Lord, but we don't see that truth played out actively in their lives. Knowledge isn't enough. And the same is true for us when it comes to faith. At church or online, we hear the word of God spoken. In our own devotions, we feast upon the word of God. 
The Lord then sends trials into our lives to give us an opportunity to put these teachings, this knowledge, into action, into practice. And as we trust him and pass those tests, we are strengthened for the future. And sometimes even in our losses, if we can take our losses like a mature Christian, we can also learn from the losses, be strengthened in our faith in the losses. Sometimes it's good to be reminded that we can't do it all on our own, that we're not always going to get it right the first time. We may not like to admit it, but James taught that a strong faith can bring us to a place where trials and tribulations can be viewed as joys and even blessings. Now that's a tough pill to swallow. James 1, 2 through 4, he writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then he continues in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The fact of the matter is, we've all got baggage. We practice sinful behaviors. We are selfish. We are often ungrateful, unthankful, and we feel entitled to have a sort of martyr complex. But what if some of these tests that we are complaining about so often are for our own good? What if? What if these tests are God's way of removing impurities from our lives? Both the Old and New Testaments speak about trials by fire. Trials by fire. The wisdom literature of Proverbs says it like this. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. And Peter, in the New Testament, breaks it down even further. 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, our faith is shown to be genuine, regardless of whether the trials come from God, the enemy, or our own foolish wrongdoings, we are still willing to praise, honor, and glorify God, believing that our dependence upon him 
will unveil the character of Christ in our lives. At times it may feel that we are drowning, but God always offers a way of escape. Maybe it's not a physical way of escape. Maybe it's not always a a, a mental or emotional way of escape. Maybe it's not always a spiritual way of escape, but it's always going to be one of the three. Usually that escape comes from simply trusting his promises. Paul says it like this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We always have a choice in the matter. When we face trials and temptations, we can always choose between stumbling into the temptation or taking God's escape route. The quicker we learn to take responsibility for our actions, the quicker we will fall on our knees and accept the cleansing blood of Christ. This isn't about becoming perfect overnight. It's about being honest with ourselves and God. Being honest about our own weaknesses and failures. Christ died in our place. Knowing that we would often be overcome by sin and temptation. He died that we may be forgiven and have hope. But he also gave us his spirit so that we could be empowered to be overcomers in this life. We shouldn't have a martyr complex because we aren't being singled out. It might feel that way sometimes, but I can assure you, you're not being singled out. We shouldn't act surprised by trials and temptations because not only did Jesus face the same, but he told us that we could expect to face the same ourselves. Peter, who was well acquainted with trials, he said this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, suffering in the name of Christ, 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. There's a lot of hope in these words. And I hope that you're starting to see a pattern here with all of these verses that I'm bringing out. Oftentimes, we are tested for our own good and God's glory. Are we willing to, like Jesus, admit that we don't always want to drink the cup, but at the same time, be willing to drink it anyways if that's God's will for us? I also think we need to discern the difference between why the enemy tests us and why God tests us. The enemy tests us because he wants to see us fail. But God tests us because he wants to see us succeed. And he believes that we can. He sees our full potential. Maybe you haven't had people in your life that have believed in you. Maybe you haven't lived a life where you had parents that believed in you, friends that believed in you, teachers that believed in you, pastors that believed in you. But God believes in you. And when Job's life was falling apart, I'm sure he probably wouldn't label it that. Maybe he would say while his life was being torn apart at the seams, it seems as if nobody believed in him anymore. But we find this in Job 23.10. But he, capital H, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You guys know how expensive gold is, right? You know the value placed upon gold. Refined in the fire. We must also remember that just like those three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter three, we are never cast into the fire alone. We are never cast into the fire alone. For those that have eyes to see, look upon the figure of Christ that is standing in those daily fires with you every single day, never left alone. Hold on to the many promises of God. Life ain't easy. Trials aren't fun. Temptations, more often than not, can knock us down and kick us while we're down there. But there are promises in God's word. There are promises like the fact that he loves you. He won't forsake you. He will provide for you. He will sustain and strengthen you when you need it most. He will answer when you call. He died for you. He rose for you. And now he's preparing a place for you. Not a part-time home. A forever home. He sees your full potential, even when others might not. He believes in you, no matter what others say, 
no matter what you might be saying to yourself in the mirror. And I'm sure somebody here needs to hear this this morning. He also isn't ashamed or embarrassed by you. Instead, he takes you as you are and claims you as his own. He's not trying to hide you. He's not trying to pretend like you aren't his. Do you want to grow your faith? Trust in these promises. Believe these promises and apply these promises. Truth is not believed, it's lived. The equation for a greater faith, it goes like this. Our faith grows when we choose to apply God's promises from yesterday to today's problems and use the experience to mature us for tomorrow's challenges. Now, as I mentioned last week, there are a lot of definitions of faith. We looked at a number of them last week. We looked at some stuff today, and this is my version. This is my mishmash of what faith is. Maybe it looks different to you, and that's okay. But are you working towards it? Is your hand outstretched because you want to grasp it? This right here, the fact that we live in a sinful world full of trials and tribulations, temptations, this is why I believe the Bible is so chock full of promises. Because God knew that we would need them. We never encounter any situation for which God hasn't provided a precious promise to bear us through it. A long time ago, God's people faced a massive crisis And instead of depending fully upon God, they depended upon themselves, their own strength, their own plans. They fought with their own efforts and power, and I think that we all know how self-defeating that is. But God came in with a reminder, and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. We've all got different battles that we face on a daily basis. When you wake up panicked in the middle of the night, remember that the battle is not yours. When the phone rings, and you're afraid to answer it because of the bad news that you might receive, remember that the battle is not yours. When you wonder how you're going to have that tough conversation or get your job back or overcome some powerful temptation, remember that the battle is not yours. You may not be on the other side of the Red Sea yet. But if you believe in God's promises, if you put your faith in him, 
When you look out, you'll realize that the waters are beginning to part. So what is faith? Faith is finding and claiming the promises of God in every situation. And based on those premises, making logical assumptions, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised that he can do. As the old hymn says, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at life's impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. So dear friends, let me ask you once again today, how is your faith? How is your faith today? Who will you put your trust in? Will you put your trust in yourself with your past full of your own letdowns and failures? Will you put your trust in friends though your relationships are full of broken promises? Will you put all your faith in the government with its greedy politicians and years upon years of lies and broken promises? Will you put your faith in chance, though it moves with the wind? Or will you choose today to put your faith fully in your God and creator, the one who has given you a literal mountain made of promises, the one who decided you were worth it, the one who died so that you might live, the one who left his throne on high so that you might be lifted up, the one who loves you in spite of your lack and failures, the one who never tires or grows weak. If you choose to put your faith in God and his beautiful promises, won't you just stand with me right now? Get up onto your feet and give it all to him. Place your faith in the cross of Christ. Place your faith in his victory. Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, and the hope for every believer. Amen and amen.